0: Uh, confession time I, I've always had a trouble introducing my lessons and your, and Steve uh, Crockett told me after first service I was going to come talk to you about this but I mean it, it, there's this tension that I, I I really want to get in and start really dealing with the topic itself and then at the same time I want to grab your attention and so today's sermon is the same struggle all right and so I've decided to use the direct approach and the direct approach is this who is God all right and, and you're probably going Bill we might need to work on those introductions just a tad bit more all right but here's the thing is I know in Mount Horeb when I did that destination I talked about where is God but today I want to deal with who is God and, and there's this enormity to this question right I mean and there's all this mystery and there's all these questions that come when we're talking about who is God and, and even though there's this enormity and there's this mystery and there's all these questions, it's something we got to deal with and probably have dealt with or will have to deal with if we're ever going to have a relationship with God. we just got to deal with it. Now, usually our approaches, our usual approaches to finding out who God is is we'll do something like these, these things. The first one is, is we'll go to like Isaiah 40, all right? Isaiah 40 has this long description of God. If you've ever never read that, you've got to read it. Read it later, all right? I mean, it's this long description about God, and it's really amazing, you know? Uh, and so we go there, or sometimes what we'll do is we'll have these adjectives or adverbs that actually describe a character quality in God, like God is just, God is mighty, God is loving, God is grace, and we'll have all these adjectives out there. Probably what we go to the most, though, is, and rightly so, is we go and we look at the life of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ represents the exact, I mean, he is the exact representation. He is God, but he everything that Jesus did, everything he said, all his ministry, is exactly who God is. And so that's some of our usual approaches, but there's sometimes there's other things. Sometimes... For better or for worse, sometimes our who God is, and we answer that question, who God is, is because of the relationship we had with our parents, or someone who is really important to us, or or sometimes it's how the church treated us, And, and sometimes for good or bad, that's how we define God. And then there's times when with God, and we come to realize is this. We could really never, ever define God. He's indefinable, right? I mean, He just is. And so what we do is we create these nice little boxes, and we say, okay, God is this, and we put them in these nice boxes, but here's the problem with that approach. Usually God breaks out of those boxes. And and so the question is, who is God and why in the world are we talking about it in the Destination series? so when we started this series i really wanted to do the garden of eden i want to do the garden of eden so here's what i do like on all my sermons i go look up every word like if it's faith i look up every verse in the bible on faith or love or whatever it is so i looked up the word eden and i looked at every verse in the bible about eden and and here's and, and usually when we think about eden we think about Eden and it is about Adam and Eve, and, and that's right, it is. Or we think about sin and, and sin being introduced to the world, and, and it is. We think about two trees. We think about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge, good and evil, and it is that. We think about Eden being this really, really perfect, beautiful place, and it was that. But then I found these verses. And these verses literally changed my sermon they changed my approach to our destination for the day the garden of eden i found that in scripture the garden of eden is actually described sometimes as the garden of god or the garden of the lord ezekiel chapter 28 verse 13 you were in eden the garden of god ezekiel 31 8 the cedars in the garden of god Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 3 He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of God. And then it hit me the garden Eden is more about God than it is anything else. And so today in our destination series, and and you can see where we've been. I mean, we've been a lot of really cool places, haven't we, in our destination series? But today what I want to do is I want to go to the Garden of Eden. And I want to go to the Garden of Eden because it is our first intimate picture of God. Did you hear that? It is our first intimate picture of God. And so in our destination series today, we're going to be going to the Garden of Eden the garden of God, the garden of the Lord. And when we find out there, the first thing we find out, our God of the garden is a creator God. He is a creator God. Now let's sort of figure, let's, let's go, like, if you'll open your Bibles to Genesis 2 and 3, we're going to be in 1, 2, and 3. That's all, we're really going to be just there today. But you might want to look at some verses there, Genesis 2 and 3. But chapter 1 does something like this. Let's sort of set the stage for the study. In chapter 1, what we have is we have this really broad overview of creation. I mean, it's this huge, huge overview. And we have God, and God is creating this, and He's creating that, and He's saying that it's very good. And it's this real, real, real broad overview of the power of God and creation. But starting in Genesis 2, it's this microscopic look at creation. And it's like God would be saying something like that. Hey, listen, if you thought chapter 1 was great, and he didn't divide it into chapters, if you thought that was great, let me just tell you this. I have really something to show you starting in chapter 2. And starting in chapter 2, here's what we find. We find that our God is a creating God. He continues his work of creation past what we would find in Genesis chapter 1. And so in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8, notice that verse right there. In 2.8, it says this. I am going to create, I am going to, he says, I'm going to plant a garden in the east. Literally, here's what it's like he said. He goes, he said to Adam and later on to Eve, he goes, I want to let you know something. If you thought this creation stuff was great, I'm going to plant a garden just for you. I'm going to plant a garden just for you i'm a creator god and i'm going to plant this garden and why because again he's a creator god and look at some of the things about eden eden in its sense that at the core of it it means it means delight or pleasure the trees it says are good for the eye and good for food there's the tree of life there which regenerates life And they have all these wonderful rivers that have all these wonderful gems and stones and all that stuff in it. And then the Hebrew world, if you talked about Eden, here's what they would say. And here's what they would say. In the Hebrew world, when they spoke of Eden, it usually was this symbol of beauty and fruitfulness. A place blessed by God. He's a creator God. And even in the perfect garden, though we find that our creator God had some work to do. The first not good is found in Genesis chapter 2. The first not good is this. As as Adam looks around and as God's with Adam and looking around, he goes, listen, there is no suitable helper found. It is not good for man to be alone. And even in the midst of a not good situation, now listen to this, even in the midst of a not good situation, God is going to create. And so he creates. He creates Eve for Adam. Again, why would he do this? Because we are the pinnacle of his creation. Man and woman in the midst of the garden. We are the pinnacle of his creation. And I want to let you know, it's, our God is still doing creating. Because he's a creator God, he looks down and here's, here's what he looks at. And I want to say this. I wish I could tell you that we're all going to get a Garden of Eden. That would be really nice, right? It'd be nice to have a Garden of Eden, but it doesn't, even though we're not going to have that, it doesn't take away from the fact that he's a creating God. And here's what he does for us. Because he is a creating God. He looks at our lives and he goes... looks like you need to have a stronger faith and we all go amen to that right and he goes i'll tell you what it looks like you need a stronger faith so what i'm going to do is this i'm going to create a series of circumstances even if i may even use trials to create a stronger faith in you oh i see that you need some support you're having some difficult times here I tell you what, I'm gonna do is I'm gonna create, I'm gonna create a body of Christ to come around you and they're gonna come to your aid and they're gonna help you out because it looks like you need for me to create some support for you in difficult times. Man, you having trouble with direction in your life? Our creator God looks into our lives and he says, I see that you need a little bit of direction. Here's what I'm gonna do: is this not only I'm gonna create I'm gonna not only going to create the word of God for you to follow, but what I want to do is this. I'm going to br- actually bring voices into your life of men and women of faith who can speak to that and give you some direction. And the reason he does that is this, is because of his love and his goodness and his kindness for his creation. Our God is a creating God, and we learn that from the Garden of Eden. Not only is he a, a creating God, our God of uh, the garden is a life-giving God. Have you thought about how much life is going on in the Garden of Eden? In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, oh, excuse me, 2-7, it says this, and God breathed the breath of life into Adam. And let me tell you what this is not. It's not like God was sort of out there and goes, okay, Adam, it's time for you to breathe, and he starts... Snapping his fingers and go, hey, hey, take a breath, Adam. And Adam just starts breathing. No, no, no. It's much, much better than that. The word there where it says he breathed into him is if it's it's an intimacy word. It's like a kiss word. And it goes something like this: God got this close to Adam. He got this close to Adam and he went, and Adam opened his eyes, and saw God. Isn't that cool? That's like goosebump cool, man. I mean, isn't that cool? He breathed life. And then later on in 2.22, it says that God made or shaped woman. It, it, it's this idea here when, and when Eve is, is created, it literally means he built her up. And then the tree, the tree of life. The tree of life, it was in the garden and what it did is it extended life and it, and it prevented all these diseases and infirmities and the decay which we have to deal with to today. But I want you to know that our God continues to give life to us. And i got to let you know, it's a greater life than the physical life that the tree of life gave Adam and Eve. And you know what the greater life is? It's spiritual life. It's life in Jesus Christ. It's the life described to the Samaritan woman. In John chapter 4 verses 13 and 14, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And not just any life. John chapter 10 and verse 10, it says, The thief comes to steal and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. Now watch what he does with this tree of life. Turn to your Bibles of Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. Revelation 2, 7. Notice what he does. Here's, what, here's the cool thing about this tree of life and our God-giving life. 2.7, it says this. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give you the right to eat from, watch this, the tree of life in the paradise of God. While we may not have the physical tree of life, I want to let you know That when we overcome and we live this life of overcoming for Jesus Christ, someday we will eat of the spiritual tree of life in the paradise of God. Isn't it great how he just turns that all the way, this full circle? Not only is he a creator God and a life-giving God, he's a loving God. I want you to know that if you were to look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you're not going to find any statements like this, like we do in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, 17, 7 and 8. And, you know, it's that song we sing. But here's what we're never going to see. You're not going to see this in the first three chapters of Genesis. And that is this declarative statement, God is love. You're not going to see that there. But I want to let you know something. God is a loving God and our destination today the Garden of Eden says more than anything else he is a loving God but he does it in some really really strange and various ways it's sort of it's different he tells us that he loves us through a tree through some questions and through a promise Love through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil now we all know that In the garden, there was a tree of life, but then there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says that if you were to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you you did that, you would die. That was the promise made to Adam and Eve. I've heard a lot, I mean, growing up around the church, I've heard a lot about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. First off is, I want to let you know something. It is not an apple. I love apples, and God would not do that to me. It is not, I hate when they have, like, if it was a grapefruit, I would understand that. <laughs> okay? I mean, I would understand a grapefruit, yes. Don't eat of that fruit, all right? It's probably a vegetable, and I don't even know it, all right? But I'm just telling you, it's not an apple. So here's the thing. I got lost in that just for a second. i got to come back, because that was a pet peeve. Uh, but... <laughs> But we hear a lot about this. I grew up with Adam. And here's what I usually heard about the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it usually had something to do that people were disgusted with God about it. They would say something like this. You know what? If God really loved us, if God really loved us, he would have never put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, if, if God really loved us, he would have never, ever, ever tempted Adam and Eve with that tree. And i got to let you know, I look at it a completely different way. Here's what I believe. I believe that the tree represents the love of God. And you're going, that's weird, Bill. No, it's not. Think, follow me here. I believe the tree of the knowledge of good and evil expresses God's love. Well, how, do, how, do we, how does he do that? He says this, I love you so much. I am going to give you free will. And at that moment in time, in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when he says, I love you so much, I'm going to give you free will, he moves us from this incredible forced love, which never ever lasts, which will never ever help us to appreciate God in any way. He moves us from this forced love to a chosen love. And he expresses his love so much for us. He says this. God goes, I am willing. I am willing to endure the heartache of your rebellion. I'm willing to endure the the heartbreak of your rebellion, rebellion just to give you a chance to love me or not. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is... A tree of love. Not only does he do it through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he does it through probing questions. I'm always amazed at what God does for Adam and Eve prior to the fall, but I want to let you know I am astounded with what he does after the fall. Have you ever thought about what God could do after Adam and Eve ate of the grapefruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? (laughs) I mean, could you imagine what he would have, could have done with them? At that moment in time, because they, they don't know what death is. At that moment in time, after they ate, he could have just ended it. Not to the, kill them. At that moment in time, death. Now, we know that death did come to them. But, I mean, physical, the whole thing, he could have just said, no, it's over, done with, killed them. He could have done that. Or, how about this? They could have had like a Trinity powwow. Like God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit get together and they would have said, man, that didn't work out too well. That didn't work out too well. Wow. I tell you what, we're just in the beginning state. This is in the launch phase of this creation stuff. I tell you what let's do. Let's just scratch everything and start over again. But he didn't do that either. You know what he did? He started asking questions. And the questions are evidence of his love. Watch this. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? And he had that West Texas draw of naked on there. (laughs) Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Or how about this one? what have you done all those questions are love questions moving adam and eve to recognize their sin and to repentance it's the same questions they ask cain prior to killing his brother abel why are you so angry why is your face downcast hey if you'll do what is right cain won't you be accepted it's the same question that was uh, Jesus asked uh, Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting, me? persecuting me, me? It's those same things. And God still continues to ask questions today. He still does. And, and He does this in, in in several wonderful beautiful ways he does this in several beautiful ways watch this it's it's the loving it's the questions when somebody comes to you from the body of Christ and goes you know what something's wrong something's wrong what what's what is wrong what what is happening in your life? And you know what that is? Yeah, it's questions from somebody who loves us. But that's God still loving us through questions. Or how about this? It's the questions, the questions we feel in our heart as we're dwelt with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, something pricks our conscience. And we go, man, I don't know, I, I don't think I should be doing that, or no, that ain't right, or, or going on, whatever. And it's that. It's that holy. the Holy Spirit who, in, who is inside of us pricking our hearts to tell us God's asking questions. Or it's this, it's the Word of God, and as we read the Word of God, like it talks about in Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, and it rips us open from top to bottom, and it exposes everything that we are, and we come, and God comes in with His word and goes, "Listen, what's going on here? What's happening here? It's these same questions. God is still asking questions. Not only that is this. Love comes through a victorious promise of Jesus Christ god had a lot to say to adam and eve after they sinned he goes into very specific things but in genesis chapter 3 verses 15 he says you know what i'm going to make you and the woman enemies to each other your children and her children will be enemies he will bite her, her child's foot and he will crush your uh, your head and i gotta let you know something adam and eve didn't have a clue what was going on they didn't have a clue what that meant they're going yes god but just because they didn't have a clue what it meant doesn't take away from the promise of what's there. And what God is doing at this moment in time, in spite of Adam and Eve, probably not having a clue what's going on, He's going, I'm going to let you know something. I'm going to promise you that someday, Satan will be crushed. And he'll be crushed in the cross and in the resurrection. And even here, at this moment in time, God... Is showing his love for that, for us. But there's one other thing. Oh, wait, second. It's the same thing that's found in John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And today, you know what we do? We just bask. We just bask. We bask in our loving God. Who loves us so much. And and our destination, the Garden of Eden, lets us know that. It lets us know that. But one other thing that we learn from the Garden of Eden is this. We learn that our God is a God of justice. And how do we know that? Five words. Five words. Because you have done this. Those five words, those five words let us know about a character quality with God. Because you have done this, because you have done this, and all of a sudden, here's what we realize is this, that our God will be a just God. And here's what we need to understand about this. God's justice doesn't discount his love. And when he expelled Adam and Eve, He is not acting in consistency with his love. Justice doesn't exclude God's love. So what does it mean for God to be just? It means that he's perfect in his uh, treatment of his creation. He shows no partiality. He shows no favoritism. He sees everything with absolute clarity and he acts accordingly. And you might be going well, why in the world do we need to know this? And the reason we need to know that is we are bombarded with injustice in this world. Aren't we? We are bombarded with injustice. War. Murder. Racism. Violence. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And we sit around and we go, somebody should be doing something about this. Somebody should be acting in all this. And here's what God says, the God of the garden. He goes, I will take care of this perfectly. I will. And we may not see that justice today, but it doesn't mean it's not there. Psalm eleven seven, For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. Psalm 146, 6 through 8. It says, he is the maker of the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful. Now watch what he sees. He upholds the cause of the depressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves righteousness and then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 8, it says this, God is just. He's just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. And when is He going to do this? This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire and the powerful angels. God is just. So today, we've traveled. We've traveled to the Garden of Eden. Good trip, right? Good trip. And in the garden, here's what we found is this. We have a creator God. We have a life-giving God. We have a loving God. And we have a just God. But can I tell you what all that communicates? One thing is this. He wants to have relationship with you. And today, the invitation goes something like this. If you need to be in an eternal life relationship then you need to get baptized into Jesus Christ. And if you're struggling with the God of the garden, come as we stand and as we sing.